back to Grid Iron Gamble, the only podcast that puts its money where its mouth is. I'm your host, Rich Ryan, and I'm joined by two members of the collective, Donnie D.P. Peters and the resident moose himself, Mo Nawara. Everything sounds crispy because we're back in the studio, but there may be a reason for us to record, or at least for myself to record, on the road, because after a 4-1 and one, week three, the collective is back over 500 in the Las Vegas Super Contest, sitting at 8-6-1. and one. Needed Moe's card! Perfect 5-0 and oh for the Moose. I'll give you the floor right away, kiddo. Not 5-0 and oh in your top five, 6-0 and oh in your top six. Let us have it. Gloat a little bit. Preen. I told you I'm ready to just do the card going forward. <laughs> I'm just the man. What can you say? Uh... You know, you guys, you especially, Rich. Yeah, bad week for the kid. You made some poor picks this week, but that's okay. You know, we're we're not going to look back now. You know, I'm ready to lead us to the promised land. That's right. Uh, As long as these sharp sides keep coming in, we're not going to have any trouble. Tough week for you, boy. I was two and three in my top five. And for those of you that don't follow us on social at Gridiron Gamble, or on Facebook, I believe it's the same, just facebook.com slash Gridiron Gamble, you don't know that we made a change. Mo got queasy with the Bradford news, so he subbed in the Jets plus six for the Vikes. That bumped the Vikes up to my pick, because I had them at the top of my card, which then removed the Panthers, thankfully, from the card. So instead of going three and two, we went four and one. The collective pick remained the same with those changes. Unfortunately, Chargers plus three at home. And the collective pick was the only one not to come in. Every host had their pick come in. Eight, six, and one. DP, bounce back week for you. First winning week of the season. How you feeling, kiddo? I mean, overall, I'm pretty horrible. I mean, I just need you guys to carry me to the finish line. It's only week three, so... Trust the collective. Carry me, guys. Help me out here. I, I don't mean, have it anymore. You got the three and two and your top pick one. Yeah, the three and two in the top five. But I mean, I did I did get off the off the schneid in terms of my top pick winning. But overall, I'm thirty seven percent of the season across my whole card. I mean, let's let's go. I need to I need to like do some meditating or something. Get my shit together. I, I don't really know what needs to happen. Maybe I need to sacrifice a lamb over in the corner. I, you know, I don't I don't know. Something's got to change here. The one call that I'm most happy about that I made on the Friday podcast was consensus picks. I told you guys that we were running way below expectation with consensus picks, that we're normally above 50%, and ho-hum, 5-1 and one in consensus picks last week. That brings us to 10-10-1 for the season, and I think we're only going to look forward from that standpoint. I we were we just ran so bad, especially last week, going one and five. This was a, a total overcorrect cor- correction for the previous week, and uh, and now we are back to to where we should. Uh, Brett killed it as well. Brett four and one. So the picking order this week will be Mo, Brett, Donnie, and then myself bringing up the rear. Looking at the super contest as a whole, before we look back at last week 
The leader, standing alone, is PhD Sports. He has 13 points, which means he is 13-2, and two, picking a gaudy 86.7% thus far on the season. And uh, he had some sharp sides, guys. He had the slurs as well. And then he had the Giants plus 6, the Texans plus 13.5, and, and the Chicago Bears plus 7 as home dogs. Those were his four winners his loss was a weird one, given those, given those other four picks. He had a, he was laying the one point with the Browns on the road, which is which is a bit bizarre. We uh, we nearly had a perfect card. We nearly had Bears on, but uh, by one point the Chargers got on. Uh, since he's not here, we can just blame Brett, right? We can just put the blame on him. I put the blame on all of you guys. <laughs> Everyone was higher on the Chargers than me, right? Well. The collective, little... the collective pick is the collective pick. We all, we all play a part in that one. So all you had to do is to click the other side, Mo. I'm just embarrassed for you on that Panthers pick. Could've, Both of you, you guys us. are the ones that shoulder the blame for that. You guys were shouting from the top of a mountain about how the Panthers were just gonna roll. You guys were just couldn't lay minus five and a half quick enough <laughs> with this poor Panthers team. Oh, well, I didn't. Nobody told me Cam's dead. Nobody, nobody told me. Brett told you. What you? Brett told you. Brett's been telling you he's been a little worried about that from the start, and he said he was really worried. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I was just stuck in the preseason. We were we were pretty high on the Panthers and Cam as a whole, given their schedule, given some of the changes that they made on offense. But I guess it, it's time to. I guess that's the theme of this pod. Look ahead. No, no more looking back because the I guess Carolina is not who we thought they were. 73 teams were a perfect 5 and 0 this week. 457 were 4 and 1, so about 20% of the contest went 4 and 1 or better. It's kind of lame. Uh but the average points per team this week was 2.37, so a nice chunk there gained by the collective in getting four full points. One poor soul did not submit a card. He's given up. Come on. Week three. I know it's brutal, man. Uh, you also so early. You also have been tracking the former champ, Coffee Maker, our friend Dwayne. What's the update there on his two entries? Not a good week for uh No, not a good week at all. I mean, it's pops. it's pretty, pretty horrible. Crosses he has two cards, Pops two thousand eight and Pops three two eight four. Uh he went a total of uh one and nine. So he went one and four on one card and zero oh and five on the other card. So on his pops two thousand eight card, he is now five and ten overall. On his pops three two eight four card, he is now four and eleven overall. Yikes! Pretty bad. Yikes! And I just want to say that about the going back to the leader PhD Sports uh, of his fifteen picks, he's picked thirteen underdogs, and he's twelve and one when picking them. Sharp as the devils. He's off to a, a, a great start, and he seems like he's going to be contending the entire season when he picks that sharp. Consensus picks for the contest, and of course all this data you can find over at fantasysupercontest.com. And not only Yada the Goat, not only did Yada include a Super Contest gold consensus tab so you can tail some of the more sharp picks, the sharper picks that are available on the website you can also now get 20 percent off of the premium pack 
thanks to our good friend, Yada. All you have to do by to get that is to go to fantasysupercontest.com slash gridiron. That's one word. Fantasysupercontest.com slash gridiron. And you will get 20% off of the premium service, which I think to begin with is only a, cu- a couple bucks. Uh, 50 bucks for the entire season, or you can pay per week $10. So there's so much data to be mined here. Uh, again, the Super Contest Gold section is great because these guys are pretty sharp. I mean, they're playing a 5K winner-take-all tournament. So some pretty good picks in there to tail. So that's fantasysupercontest.com slash gridiron, 20% off of a premium uh, package. So the consensus for the Super Contest, the five most popular picks, another bad week, two and three against the spread, the two most popular. I mean... Oakland was the most popular by a country mile. Uh, they cleared the next most popular pick by 130, and the next most beyond that by 260 selections. So people were lining up to lay three points with the Raiders, and the Slurs dominated that game. And then the next most popular pick was another road favorite, the Denver Broncos giving three in Orchard Park. Both of those were games that were ours, and let's start with that Bills game. Donnie, you put this game on the card. The most magical part about this is during the Cowboys-Broncos game, unknowingly, you asked, when is the Broncos' first road game? Because, rule of mo, bad or average quarterbacks can be okay at home, but once they step on the road, it's a whole new ball game. And then Brett, the Bills fan, put in the chat, Buffalo next week, but he was, of course, scared of that Denver defense. You were not, and we shouldn't have been, an outright win for Buffalo. Why don't you tell us about that game, DP? I mean, Buffalo's a sneaky place to play, to go in there. I mean, we we, we often knock on Buffalo. We, we knock on Buffalo and Brett in this podcast. I grew up in Buffalo. I know all about it, but... They get up for their Buffalo Bills, and that is not a friendly environment to go up there to Orchard Park in Buffalo to have to play on the road. And then coupled up with the fact with, with what we talked about uh, on the podcast last week with the, the, the Broncos have the Raiders this week, and that is a huge game in the AFC West. So, you know, there's a bit of that whole look-ahead factor. I mean, you, you guys challenged my look-ahead factor a little bit, saying that, you know, on the Sunday night game with the Raiders, they won't be looking ahead because it's a primetime game. Well... The early game was the Denver game, and they looked—they didn't look the same, so they could have been looking ahead. I mean, Trevor Simeon, he didn't look like himself. He looked more like, uh, at least himself this year, he looked more like uh, the Trevor Simeon that we thought he would be going into the uh, into the season, and he made some some costly mistakes. And honestly, I mean, the score I thought was a little bit closer than, than the game itself. Buffalo could have done a little bit better on offense, but that Denver defense is really good. And then uh, also on the other side of the ball, I mean, Buffalo just – they got moosed a lot on third downs, and they also just couldn't get off the field on third downs in a lot of spots where you would normally expect that Bills defense to be able to come through for them. Yeah, Demarius and Emmanuel Sanders, Mo, Mo was freaking out every third and long because – it seems like the Bills would hold up first down, hold up second down, and then somebody would just get open on third and 12 and convert. It was super annoying. We we did get a little lucky in this game. I, I think we were still in position to cover pretty easily, but that Von Miller 
personal foul for extending his hand and then pulling it back after knocking Tyrod to the ground. I mean, what a stupid call. I think that's such a that's such a dumb personal foul penalty. Like how can you almost decide the game based upon those actions? That that, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. But still 26 to 16 outright win. Tyrod, I told you guys, Tyrod, the one thing he's got a lot of limitations. His accuracy is very questionable but he's not going to turn the ball over. And he did not in this game. He was 20 of 26, so accuracy wasn't even a real issue. Uh, Two touchdowns, no interceptions. Big play Clay found the end zone again. He's been a little bit of a fantasy darling for this podcast. Mo, you got anything to add on this game? No, I was was a little worried when this moved to three and a half, though. Uh, Woke up and saw three and a half and did not feel too good but uh yeah i mean the bills had a little bit of a shaky first half but they were fine in the second half and uh, i think we just pretty much nailed this one simeon on the road just a different way different beast than than playing at home in mile high this this really excites me because i I think we might be able to get value every time the broncos are at home and every time the broncos are on the road especially if they come off of the, like if they have an oscillating schedule that is a lot of home away, home away, home away, which I don't know offhand, because sometimes the market reacts so violently to these small samples when the team really kind of stays in the middle. So I think we might be able to get some value out of a team like the Broncos, knowing their limitations and how they perform in certain arenas. I just looked up the Broncos schedule for you, Rich. Uh, they have two home games coming up, three away games, two home games, two ah, away games. That stinks. So, yeah. That's so, they're not going to be oscillating too much. That stinks. The, that, that first away game, though, after two big home wins, perhaps, could be a good value spot. Could be a spot. You know who it's against. Who is it against? The Chargers. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> not doing it. Mo. But but Mo. similar fashion to this week, if depending on what happens in these first couple games, after they play the Chargers, they go on the road to play the Chiefs, which could be a look-ahead spot. Mo, I'll give you a free veto on that game if anybody puts it on the card. Free five. Mo's, can we, you, you pull that audio? I did not. Mo's pre-flop fears? Yeah, Mo, Mo pre-flop, he folded on Phillip Rivers. He, he said he was toast, said he was dusted. He did not listen to the disciple who couldn't have run faster to the window to pick up a Chargers futures ticket. Mo was the most scared of the group, and it seems like those fears are coming to fruition. Woof, man. Some of those throws from Phillip. Phillip Rivers throwing outside the numbers is the scariest thing. Oh, my God. Can't get the ball. It takes everything. It's just it's so Manning. It's end of Manning's career. He can't takes everything in his body to get the ball to a 15-yard out. Oh, my God. He's done. Yeah. Well, I will say the one Marcus Peters interception was a total gamble by Peters, but that's what he does. Like, if you ever sit down in the quarterback room and watch film and you're watching the Chiefs, like, Marcus Peters does shit like that where he'll just leave his man and try to jump you. And and knowing your arm strength, you just can't take some of those chances. And uh, credit to Peters, left his man, jumped a route there. But... The, what a weird game. How, how are we even drawing live in the second half after Philip throws four interceptions, three interceptions in the first four possessions? 
because the Chargers defense balled out. Yeah, they did. I mean, they, were, they were playing really well, and I feel bad for them. <laughs> I mean, what do you, your offense just just fizzles out every single time because your quarterback can't do a damn thing, and you're just you're playing it the best you can, and then eventually, you know, that last touchdown by Kareem Hunt. I mean, they just kind of what are they going to do? They're they're dead. They're beat. It's the end of the game, and he just happened to find a hole. So I guess this will be our Chargers segment. We're on it already. Uh, Melvin Gordon, credit to him. I mean, he played through a bone bruise on the knee, which is tough. But, man, they just could not get anything going on offense. Uh, Chiefs, man, they, they, this just might be the year. Mo, you, you've kind of you, you've been impressed by Andy Reid going for the throat. And there wasn't so much of this in this game, and maybe that's a credit to the Los Angeles defense, but I mean, Kareem Hunt is unbelievable. Alex Smith is taking some more chances than we're used to. And Chiefs defense, got to give them credit. I've, I've been a little down on them. I've been a little bit worried up front, but they're, they're firing on all cylinders, even without Eric Berry. Yeah, up front looks great. The secondary still worries me, um, but... Yeah, what what we didn't factor in in this game, the biggest key that we didn't give enough weight to was one team has a peas for brains running backs coach as the head coach, and the other team had Andy Reid. The coaching mismatch was brutal here. This guy is nut low coach in the league. He is clueless. He has no... I would be blown away if this guy was employed next year. He is completely clueless. Punting from the 30 numerous times, I mean, that was just pathetic. Even Andy Reid was shaking his head on the (laughs) sidelines over there. Andy Andy Reid looks like a a maestro of time management next to what Anthony Lynn is doing on the sideline. I I maybe thought Monday night, week one, was an aberration when he... uh, he looked totally clueless, but I guess that's just what's what we should expect for this Chargers team. I mean, can Lynn get fired midseason? At what point do you hire this guy, go through the process of the first few weeks, examine what he's done, and say, this, guy, this guy's not cut out to do this? I mean, if you let him go, you have to let him go sooner rather than later. I mean, you can still possibly salvage your season. I mean, the Chargers... We all were super high on them going in to the season. Not that they're where we thought they would be, but I don't think that they're that bad. The defense looks good. The offense looks all right. I mean, they just need to get a bunch of crap together. But a head coach can do that, a different head coach. And I would say if it gets bad around week four next week or or five the week after, let them go. See you later. Get someone else in there. Let's go back to the East Coast, to Rutherford, New Jersey specifically where somebody made Jay Cutler and the Miami Dolphins road favorites against the New York Fighting Jets. Somebody went to the board and typed in minus six next to the Dolphins. That was an actual thing that happened. And for 59 minutes and 59 seconds, the Dolphins didn't even score a single point in the tilt. Devontae Parker pulls in a last-second, literal last-second touchdown. The clock was at quadruple zeros, and it was a total drubbing by what is not a good team in the Jets, but 
you can't just put minus six next to a mediocre team going on the road in professional football. It just can't be a thing that happens. Jay Cutler looked like the Jay Cutler of old, plus a sprinkle of a 30-year-old who was nearly in the commentator's booth. Dolphins looked so bad, but this might be a great spot looking forward for a potential Dolphins bounce back. This week's a little weird. They're headed off to London to face the New Orleans Saints. But, man, this was a, this was a layup. And, Donnie, you didn't take it. You got you to talk to me about this one, Donnie. Yeah, come on. I told, I told you, guys, you guys this line was awful. I told you guys I didn't want anything to do with this game, and I would just pick the best team. I mean, I just – I can't – listen, I, I, that guy that hung the minus six at the window, Rich, that guy saw the same thing that I did, and it's just that the Jets were basically just mailing it in and not caring about the season anymore. But I was wrong. You guys were right. Thank God I am here to trust the collective – because you guys carried us to a one-pointer. Um, I mean, this is... I feel so bad for Matt Moore. So bad. Like, I, why can't that guy just... Why can't you put him in? He has to be better than Jay Cutler. Jay Cutler is clearly just there to make his $5 million or whatever it is this year, and he just doesn't give a crap about winning or trying or looking. It's just... It looks so bad. It definitely says something about your management. If you have a career backup in Matt Moore who's been with the franchise for, what, seven, six years? And been serviceable whenever he's been called upon. And every single time he looks. Matt Moore might be the best backup in the league. He's definitely up there. And the second that Daniel gets hurt, they go sign 30-plus-year-old guy coming off of shoulder surgery who was going into the commentator's booth. Like, what? A, what is that managerial process? What's the point of carrying a Matt Moore? Why not just pay the league minimum for whatever undrafted rookie quarterback is on the market. It makes no sense to me. Uh, Mo, you were the one who put this on the card. You got queasy, last second, fired Jets. What did you see from the boys at MetLife on Sunday? Well, there weren't too many scoring chances, and I was on red zone, so we didn't watch too much of this. (laughs) Uh, But holy shit, man. I I mean, not scoring against the Jets, essentially. I mean, they were basically get shut out. I mean, I, I suppose the Jets were probably trying at the end just to get the shutout, but you know they were still sleepwalking before that. That is that is so embarrassing. I just can't believe... I can't believe that somebody put Jay Cutler as a minus six favorite on the road, and people <laughs> were still clicking on him. The majority of people, not just people, the majority of people were clicking on it. You know who played great in this game? Josh McCown. Cade. Cade the God. 18 of 23 for 250 and a touchdown. Every time he needed to make a throw, he delivered. The The Robbie Anderson deep throw was perfect. There were so many times where he needed to fit it into a tight window to Goat Curly or Jermaine Curse on a second and long or a third and long. And he completed all the throws he needed to. Uh, I don't think McCown's looked bad really all year. I mean, he's had a few blunders when he threw in some really bad picks, but overall, he's looked like a very serviceable quarterback. Not that he's going to go out there and win you a Super Bowl, but for what the Jets kind of need right now, I think he's just fine. And th- and think about the last, I don't know, 14, 21 days for the offense. Like, their number one and their new slot receiver weren't on the team in, like on September 1st. So... It's a total adjustment period 
in terms of rhythm, in terms of routes, and Jeremy Curley. And listeners of this podcast know I love this guy. He's not there week one. He's inactive. Week two, he's getting into the system. And then he comes in five targets, catches all five of them for 42 yards, does the, the yeoman's work on second and third down, makes the tough plays over the middle, always a yak guy. So... I don't know. I, I think the Jets' offense might be a little more serviceable than people think, and the Jets' defense is going to be improved from last year. They invested heavily in the secondary. I think Claiborne's been pretty suspect, unfortunately, but rookie safety Jamal Adams is a monster. And I think the Jets, unfortunately for me as a fan of the team, might be sneaky this year. I, I kind of wish they'd go. 3 and 13, 4 and 12 so we can get some draft equity but you know they might sneak up into a 5 and 11 or 6 and 10 team if the offense is somewhat serviceable which I'm actually not happy about. All right. Let us go to the other 1 o'clock game, the game that Mo was queasy about. And that is Vikings Bucks and what a party it was in Minnesota. Zimmer at home. Zimmer at home. The Bucks get trounced by the Vikings. Did not even need Mr. Uh, Mr. Sam behind center because we had something case. Something case Keenum leading the boys. Stephon Diggs kills it. Two touchdowns for him. And the defense rolls. Jameis throws a couple head scratchers like we knew. He threw a, actually threw a great ball to Deshaun. Deshaun made a great play in the second half, but... The types of pressure. This team is just so good at home. And even, like, what do we think about this team with Case Keenum? Like, can this team be decent in terms of, can this team win, like, 10 games with Case Keenum? Is that a thing? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I think a lot of that re- resides on the the defense, obviously, um, and and the running game. And, and listen, Case has some really, really good wide receiving options with Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen that if he can just get them the ball and be safe, um, I, I think that that's great. One thing I, I like about Case Keenan, while he may be a – you know, a less safe option than a Sam Bradford. He also has that ability where I don't think Sam Bradford does to go out there and really win you a game because he can have that sort of Brett Favre gunslinger mentality, which obviously gets you in trouble a lot of times, like we saw uh, last week, not this most recent week. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, Case Keenum can he can be just fine out there. What about you, Mo? Do you think something? Do you think something Case can lead the Vikings to a home playoff game? going to be hard for me to click on case on the road i'll say that much have not been able to trust this guy in the past and i don't trust him now but uh at home with an elite defense backing him i think he'll be fine i'll be interested to see them play on the road during this whole thing is weird because you would think that they would just want to make a decision uh at least not like a permanent, but like a semi-permanent decision. Like, okay, Case, you're going to be the quarterback for the next four weeks. Get prepped. Get your mind ready. You know, get in the playbook. Start watching these teams and start getting prepared as best as possible. Because the whole saga, the first week was weird, and then they're going to Pittsburgh. That just seems like a tough spot for somebody like Case Kino. But on the road to like Chicago, inner division, I think it might be a totally 
different story, although the Bears have been super frisky at home. Uh, yeah, just Vikes defense is so good. Mike, Mike Zimmer and the Vikings, I, th- I think I was seeing something that uh, Zimmer has the second best record against the spread during his tenure only. The Patriots have covered more frequently, and the Vikings, uh, as home dogs, are like infinite and a little bit. Don't quote me on that. Uh, Zimmer's just such a great coach, and that defense has just been so rabid at home that the Vikings are a darling of ours. If Brett was on here, he'd be waxing poetic as well. And uh, the Bucks, again, I think the Bucks are good. I think the Bucks are going to be good at home, and I always like seeing good teams get drubbed like this because I, I'm just praying that the public sways one way which looking taking a peek at next week's lines I think we might be getting some value in Tampa Bay although I think I haven't looked yet I think the public might be all over them given their opponent so we have one last game to examine we talked about it briefly it was the slurs and the raiders this was not the week for the Oakland Raiders Mo, I'll let you kick this one off. Man, if there was one thing I thought I was certain of this season, it was Raiders' offensive line is pretty elite. And then they go to Washington, and Washington's front four destroys them. Ryan Kerrigan looks like a 20-year-old again. This was this is a wild game for me, Mo. Same. Uh, I mean, I, I loved Washington going in, and I expected Washington to cover and possibly win, but holy shit, I never imagined. I, I couldn't believe it. I just kept saying to my friends when I was watching, how is this Raiders O-line? I've never seen them get shit on like this. That was unbelievable. That that O-line should be so good. I, and they got just demolished by Washington. But, you know, I've been the high man on this Washington defense from square one. I mean, when I looked at this roster up and down, uh, early in the se- uh, in the preseason, maybe you know they're not the deepest, but I love their starters. I mean, to me, they look like they have some playmaking ability at basically every every level of the defense, and uh, I think they are capable of more games like that. But wow, it was it was a shockingly bad performance from the Raiders. The slurs secondary has shades of Jets with Revis where. I mean, did anybody did Josh Norman get a target in that game? I didn't I didn't see 24 have to make a play on the ball because I it didn't seem like Derek Carr looked his way. And when you have a situation like that where half the field is gone, then you just swarm to the other side of the field with coverage. And it becomes terribly difficult to throw the ball even when you have elite receivers like Crabtree and Cooper. And then you it, when you have a front four that gets that much pressure, I mean Mason Mason Foster missed this game. I mean he's a, a great pressure linebacker. He wasn't even on the field, and and Washington was just in the backfield the whole game. This this was a wild one for me. Uh, DP, it it seemed last year you were you were big on the Raiders. This year it seems like you're kind of off the Raiders. Was this an alarming game for you for Oakland? No, not alarming. I, I kind of expected it. You know, I talked about it going in. Uh, just there's there's a lot of parity in the NFL and in on a bigger picture. And you know, there's 
I mean, you guys are going to laugh at me because I'm a Patriots homer, but they're the only team that seems to get it right every single year in terms of holding a level of consistency that is much higher than the rest of the standard of the league. And I mean, last year it was, it was me riding the hot hand with the Oakland Raiders, you know, much like the public was every single week. Um, I mean, you guys know that I like to be square at times and, and the Raiders were, were, that was the team last year. I mean, until Carr went down and then this year there's, to me, there's just inevitably going to be some regression. Uh, I was surprised to see how well they did the first two weeks of the season. I thought there was a good chance that they could go 2-0, but the way that they did it uh, did, did surprise me a little bit. And then, you know, this just seemed like a really good spot. Uh, I mean, Mo talked a lot just now about the Redskins defense. The Redskins defenses look really, really good all year. Uh, the Raiders having to go into Washington. Uh, all we needed really was just Kirk Cousins to kind of chill. And, and anytime, you know, listen, I don't think – that Jack Del Rio is a good coach at all. So when I go back to my, my parody talk, you know, I think that there's a much higher chance of you coming back down uh, to be sort of an average team, despite your talent level, when I don't think your, your head coach is that good at all. Where was uh, Kirk Cousins' heart during this game? On his sleeve. I mean, it was all we just needed Kirk Cousins to just not screw up, and he was out there throwing dimes all over the field. Oh, heart rankings. I mean, listen, anytime a guy forgoes a long uh, contract and just decides to play year to year, you know he's playing with his heart on his sleeve. He's I, he's betting on himself. I, I, I think I blew it with uh, Samaj P. Ryan in our Dynasty League, too. For, for those of you listeners, Donnie and I co-own a Dynasty League, a Dynasty team in an, an insane league, and I had the choice between P. Ryan and Alvin Kamara, and... It appears that I made the wrong decision because <laughs> Piran is a plotter. He's not special. He's, he, I mean, he could stay in the league for a while because he is kind of powerful and he's got a low center of gravity. He's got, he's like a very poor man's, very poor man's Maurice Jones, Drew. So I think he could have a role in the league, but he's just not impressive at all. Something Brown, something Mac Brown came in at the end of the game and looked like Gale Sayers. <laughs> And every time Chris Thompson touches the ball, he looks like Barry Sanders. Chris Thompson, Mo, you were baffled. You don't even know where this guy came from. And you're the unprofessional guy around here. Yeah, that Chris Thompson shit, man. Last year when he was catching balls, I was just like, oh, you know, this guy's just a warm body PPR back. Like, he's useful in full PPR leagues. That's it. And then he scored that, uh, like, 77-yard touchdown early in the season. And... Uh, I had to completely change my perception of him. I was like, okay, this guy's like capable of big plays. I mean, this guy might be the best back on the team after I saw that. And I don't think there's any doubt at this point. I think I saw one stat. Don't get too, too excited. Um, fantasy players out there. Chris Thompson is scoring a receiving and or rushing touchdown every like six and a half touches, which is completely unsustainable it's it's normally in the 20s low 20s i believe if i remember the stat correctly uh but he's i mean he's been explosive and i think he's definitely worth a look in ppr because his floor is pretty great especially in spots where the slurs might be in in negative script but don't expect this touchdown production from this guy it, it doesn't seem sustainable given the volume and for for how good thompson looks how bad does terrell Pryor look Oh man, like he can't. Add a, he was he was like a freak last year, and this year he he can't do anything. 
I wonder how long it takes for quarterback and receiver, especially Terrell's not your standard receiver playing the position forever can move from offense to offense and pick things up as quickly as you would think. But trying to rack my brain of big receiver acquisitions and do they blow up immediately. I mean, T.O. comes to mind, but T.O. is one of the greatest ever. Complete joke, he's not in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Get your shit together, committee. But is there just a chemistry thing there? I don't know. Terrell still impresses me as an athlete. He made some great plays in the preseason, high-pointing balls, but yeah, it's just not been there so far, and old reliable, Vernon Davis, what was he, like 0.3% on DraftKings, Mo? You were shocked by that. Yeah, he was 0.9% owned, <laughs> uh, that was incredible, uh, I mean, this is still a solid tight end, and Jordan Reed was never likely to play, I don't know what people were doing here, but I would have had Vernon in literally every lineup if I knew he was going to be that low owned, but I gotta say, uh, I called it on that breeze, 1% owned. Yep, and he found Michael Thomas in the end zone. Vernon Vernon does not look any bit 33. He caught like a three-yard pass in the, in the flat early on in that game, and Chris Collinsworth put it great. He said he looked like a scat back. He's like unbelievable athleticism for somebody 33 and had been in the league for a decade now is is pretty phenomenal. I guess I guess that's what happens when you don't get much burn and you get uh your touches get limited over the end of your career. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. He had a couple of years off, basically. Yeah, you still you still get to have some of your bursts instead of being driven into the ground infinite times. Hey guys, Brett here to give you three fantasy football takeaways from week three of the NFL season. Number one. If you're like me and had high expectations for Chargers tight end Hunter Henry coming into the season, it's been a rocky start. Two goose eggs already with one solid stat line sandwiched in. But it's not a lack of playing time that's concerning. It's his usage. Henry played more snaps on Sunday than he had played in the first two games, 41. But he only ran 15 passing routes, which was eight fewer than he ran the previous week. Just to give you an example of how small Henry's involvement is in the passing game, Zach Ertz is averaging 40 passing routes per game. Henry is at 15. I'm not ready to give up on Henry yet because the upside is too high, but definitely keep an eye on his usage in the passing game before starting him in your season-long teams. I'm sure I'll be complaining about it every week on the podcast, so be sure to tune in for that. Number two, for you David Johnson owners out there who scrambled for Kerwin Williams as a replacement, it's already time to pull the plug. Williams was terrible against the Colts in Week 2, then only got two snaps out of the backfield in week three. This entire situation is messy for fantasy owners. It looks like Chris Johnson and Andre Ellington will be splitting the workload in the, in the desert. Both are worth owning in season-long leagues, but are strictly bench plays unless you're really lacking running back depth. Number three, one running back who suddenly is worth owning in season-long leagues is Wendell Smallwood, who instantly becomes a thing in Philadelphia after Darren Sproles was ruled out for the season. Smallwood carried the ball 12 times for 71 yards in the win over the Giants on Sunday. And while he is going to be splitting some carries with LeGarrette Blunt and possibly Corey Clement, Smallwood is the best of the bunch. He's going to be the guy who fills in for Sproles on passing downs. After only running 19 routes in the first two weeks combined, Smallwood ran 21 on Sunday. He becomes a flex option in season-long leagues going forward in this very pass-happy offense. Let's take a peek to Week 4. 
you guys looked at the lines. I did so myself. And before we started recording, you two were beside yourselves with, I think, two spots where you guys were way off. Donnie, you said you were nine points off? Am I getting that correct? Yeah, eight and a half. And and your biggest was six, Mo? Yep, six. Uh, Man, this is going to be a scary <laughs> week, guys. All right. Uh, on the count of, I'm going to count to three, and I want you guys to say who the favorite is in that in that game to see if you guys have the same game. Okay, say the favorite in the game in three, two, one. Seahawks. Seahawks. <laughs> yeah, what in the world is this line? I this line is this astronomically line. way off. <laughs> that was tremendous. Go go for it, Mo. I mean, I don't even know what to say. I, I, I'm just completely baffled by this line. I know that people think of this as like the old dominant Seahawks still, especially against a bad QB at home, and it's possible they will be. I mean, I still believe in this defense, and I still am extremely skeptical that Jacoby uh, Brissett is going to be able to do anything. Something brisket overall but holy shit man i mean i don't know this is like this is the line for them against matt barkley and matt barkley like couldn't complete a pass i mean Brissette can at least get some yards through the air and on the ground i i just i don't know i can't wrap my mind around this line barkley couldn't complete a pass and the hawks offense had somewhat of a pulse when when they hung that 13 DP, give us your thoughts. I mean, didn't they see what the 49ers just went up to Seattle and did uh, a couple weeks ago? I mean, it, they they made Seattle look really bad, and then we were all worried about Seattle. I mean, Rich, you you wrote about it in your in your four downs that you thought that Seattle could be really bad. Now they went and they didn't really impress that much uh, last week in Tennessee, and and I just. I mean, this this Colts team, to me, they, they seem like they're getting it together. Brett talked a little bit in the DFS podcast last week about how with every week, there's a little bit more value there for Jacoby Brissett, and I think that there is. I mean, we saw – I mean, the Browns' defense I don't think is that bad. They look pretty good when you watch them actually play. And and the Colts did a very, very good job, especially Jacoby Brissett. And him and T.Y. Hilton got on the same page. He's got a favorite in, in Jack Doyle as, Doyle as well. Um, and Frank Gore, you know, he's the guy that just never dies. He's like 85 years old and just still trucking out there. Um, I mean, I, I, and I don't see a lot from Seattle that I'm impressed with. Uh, Moe's always talked about it. You're not going to win in this league if you don't have a good offensive line. And Seattle doesn't have a good offensive line. So even if the Colts defense is, is, is bad, I mean, they, they can still get home a few times. Uh, against Russell Wilson and that, that offense that doesn't look that good. And then what if what's up with Doug Baldwin's groin? What if he doesn't play? I mean, there's the number one passing option out the window. So 13 to me is is ridiculous. It's beyond ridiculous. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I feel like the books are going to get hammered by the sharp sides going into this one unless they adjust and adjust soon. And the public is currently on the Colts as well. Slightly, not too strong. 55% are on the dog. So... We're not the only ones that think this line smells. You know how I do I process. I write what I think Vegas will open the game as, not what I think that I think the game is. And I'm probably where you guys are. You guys are, it sounds like, eight and a half in that area, seven and a half, eight and a half, nine and a half. I thought Vegas was going to open this at ten and a half. I thought they were going to be 
a little more reasonable. But nope, they just go, <laughs> they just go with the full thirteen. <laughs> I don't, I don't get it either. It's, it's, it's confusing. I had it at four and a half. Four. That I had it. Well, at. that's just, that's insane. What do you mean? They've looked absolutely horrible, Seattle. I can't, I, I can't deny that they've looked absolutely horrible. Yeah, but one and a half on neutral—that's a little nuts. Have you seen Seattle play this year? I mean, I've only got three games to work with, and I'm doing the best I can. Yeah, but I also saw the Rams win infinite to three against the Colts on the road. So Yeah, I mean, that's fine. That was the first game, and they had Scott Tolzien as quarterback. With Jacoby Brissett, they've looked pretty good. Something brisket. Something brisket. Something brisket cooking. All right, there's another one. Donnie, you, I think you said you had a bunch, but Mo, you had... Two that you were off on? Am I correct about that, Mo? Uh, uh, that was I think Donnie. Uh, I, that was the main one for me. Everything else, I was at least somewhat in the ballpark. Um, I'm obviously gonna have to do a lot more work later in the week. But uh, was there any? Yeah, other, that, was, that there, was the big one. Was there any other one that was like if you had to draw uh, a scatter plot where there was a, a second one that was a little more away from the correlation? Or is that like far and away number one? Uh, that was far and away number one. Okay, basically, I, I wanted to see if we could play that guessing game again. So I was off on another one as well, and I, I think we've got the same game, Donnie. So let, let's you and me play the game. Same game. Say the favorite. Okay. Wait, do I say is it the f- the favorite? Whoever the favorite, which, whatever Vegas is favorite. Yes, Vegas is favorite. Okay, got it. Uh, you want to let's make this even more interesting. Do you want to say who should be favored, and I'll say who should be favored? Yeah, we can say who should be favored. Okay, three, two, one. The Jets. Browns. Oh. <laughs> All right, I'll let you go first. Talk about the. Browns. I love your side of this one, Rich. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I was first of all, I was off on on yours, Rich. So we'll talk about that as well. Um, I the I don't see how the Bengals are going to go into Cleveland and be three point favorites. That to me is ridiculous. I don't understand that. They're what they're going to be nine at home in Cincinnati. I mean, the Bengals have looked like total crap this year. I mean, get that's that's to me that's joke. I think that the Browns have been listen. They've been playing really really well. They haven't been packing it in. Yes, they've lost, but they've been playing really well. I'm not impressed with the Bengals at all. And I think that there's something to be said about the fact that how the Bengals just lost in Green Bay, I'm not sure they're going to be able to recover from that. I don't think that they have good leadership in Marvin Lewis to begin with. And then after you you play well, you're leading for, what, three quarters of that game, and then all of a sudden Aaron Rodgers just comes back and rips your heart out. I mean, that's like a, a season-crushing victory or, or defeat right there. And I think that the Bengals aren't going to recover. I had, I had the Browns favored here by two and a half. And it's on the other side at three. So I'm off by five and a half across the line. I thought Vegas, again, my process, I thought Vegas was going to open Browns as a short favorite, like minus, I had minus two and a half. Uh, (laughs) And 68% of the public already lining up to lay more than a field goal on the road with Cincinnati against Cleveland. Yeah, I I, I favored Browns also here, actually. It's, It's pretty... Pretty pretty wild. Again, this this is this home and away kind of oscillation. Browns looked really good at home against the Steelers. They go on the road. Ravens really hard to play. They lose. They don't cover. Colts look like a disaster. So the public makes the Browns a road favorite somehow, some way. Colts put together a good game. They cover. 
Now the Browns come home, and all of a sudden they're plus three and a half against one of the worst teams. In fact, a team that might be worse than them in the league. This is a total stock high, stock low play. And then let me just talk about the Jets real quick. You would think that after a performance like that, there'd be some change in the public mind. Like, okay, I guess the Jets kind of have a pulse. We just can't lay infinite against them every single week. However, the team that is coming to town just won by 40 in an island game. It's the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I, very terrible pick by me last week. Scoring lover pick. Terrible selection. About as bad as it gets. I still, in my heart, love the Jaguars. But minus three and a half on the road? What? What? I can't get behind this line either. I don't. What? I mean, the matchup-wise, it does favor the Jags a little bit, but I still think this game, what did I cap this at? I thought that the public would open it as plus one for the Jags. I had this as a pick em. I I thought it would be plus one, minus seven in Jacksonville, and they not only do they go to the key number of three, but they give the Jets the hook. Like, <laughs> I wavered between a pick'em and, and one. I ended up settling on Jaguars minus one. But I mean, to 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 go to three first of all, then to go over three, like you just said, Rich with the hook. I mean, that just seems crazy to me. Um, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit surprised by this one. I'm I'm gonna be liking the Jets if it stays where it's at. So, yeah, we could be having the Jets on our card in, in uh, for two weeks in a row. I, I said this in the chat yesterday and I'll I'll tell the public now. I'm very interested to see what Jacksonville and Baltimore do coming back from London. With within this London sample of almost feels like almost a decade now. Normally the process is play the London game, get a bye. But last year Indianapolis broke precedent by requesting or, or not requesting, I should say, a bye week following the London game. Now, they came back and they covered minus four favorites at home against the Bears. But that's got to be just a tough travel schedule for you to go all the way to London, different time zone. Now, granted, these are both East Coast teams, so it's not too terrible. Travel so far, different time zone, play a game, come back, change time zones again. I don't know. I, it, it seems like it, it would not be preferable. And it sucks because I, I want to love the Ravens this week, uh, given the fact that they were drubbed, given the fact that they're playing a Steelers team that is super public. But I, I'm going to keep keep an eye out for Jacksonville and Baltimore and see how they play post-London. Another, another interesting travel note, just quickly while you brought that up, Rich. How about Miami's? They had the hurricane. Then they went to California. Then they went to New York. Now they're going to London. Yeah, that's brutal. That's to start a season that that seems about as brutal as you can get in the NFL. Man, they're so stock low, stock high though. Saints big road win, Dolphins lose to the freaking Jets. <laughs> like There's got to be value in that line, right? I think so. I was off by 3 points on that line as well, so. Wow, so you thought the Dolphins were favorites. Uh no, I I just had it as a pick 'em. Hmm. I had it as Saints minus one, so I'm I'm definitely into the Finns this week. Yeah, I Rich, you brought up the Ravens Steelers, and I was off on that one too. So <laughs> it's gonna be a fun week. That one makes sense, though. I know why they hung that line, but again, another tidbit I threw in the chat: John Harbaugh 
four and O against the spread as home dogs against the Steelers. And that includes a game two years ago, Ryan Mallett at quarterback. Ravens are plus 10, plus 10 at home against the Steelers and win outright. I mean, that's just that, that's just rule of Ravens Steelers, right? You just blindly click the home dog at all. Yeah, I like Ravens also here. Any anything? Any other weird lines before we close it up? Uh, I'm interested to see where Lions Vikings opens uh, again. Sam Bradford news pending. I, I wonder how much they're going to place, how much weight they're going to place on Bradford's return. I, I think it's one of those situations where the more Case plays the more I like the Vikings because their value is not going to be as inflated. I'm also interested to see where Rams-Cowboys opens. I have not seen a line on Pinnacle yet. Cowboys, big bounce back on the road, but... There's some places in Vegas that have it up. What do we got? Uh, I'm seeing minus 8.5 and and minus 9. 8.5? Yeah. I was off on this one by a lot too. So I capped. Wait, who's minus eight and a half? Oh my god! The Cowboys against the Rams. I mean, team seems fine. Teams coming. What? Teams coming off the bye six and zero so far against the spread. I believe in Sean McVay. I I capped this as minus seven if the Cowboys won last night. I think anything right. north of a touchdown is batshit. Here's a weird one. You want to talk about a little bit of a weird line? Go for it. I just want to throw this one out there. The Patriots. I actually capped this right about where it is. But what if Cam like doesn't play or it just is bad and just there's no receivers? I think there's a, a scenario where like Patriots mostly win this by 20. Yeah, I, so I, I'm a little bit weird. I think this is just a weird line because they're only they're not that big of a favorite as you might expect. And Cam has looked horrible. I think they're going to get there, though. They've already moved it to nine from eight and a half. I I thought Vegas would open this as 10. Like, who isn't clicking Patriots? Uh, The Patriots are the only team where they cannot cover minus 13 and a half, and the public's just going to reline up next week to fire them against whoever they're playing. So I don't know why this didn't open higher. Because, yeah, the Panthers look horrific. Like, who's clicking Panthers? Even Sharps are fading Panthers. All right. With that, those are our interesting look-aheads for week four. If you want to follow us on Twitter, at GridironGamble, send us a ticket for this week, GridironGamblePodcast at gmail.com. I'm sure DP will do some tweeting about it, and we can discuss on either the Thursday DFS pod or the Friday pod. Uh, But until then, thanks for joining us. We'll see you for some fantasy on Thursday. Peace.